Welcome to another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we're afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. Trending fears this week? Republicans demand Arabic numerals removed from schools. Mexican immigrants are flooding into America. Wait, American immigrants are flooding into Mexico? Processed foods are the cause of obesity because we eat them too fast? Barry's fear of the week, Trump's out of control rollbacks, and of course, our regular feature, Fear Florida. That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else says. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode 11. I'm Alonzo Bowden, and I'm here once again with my fear-busting friend, Dr. Barry Glasner, the world's foremost expert on fear. And as always, we're here to separate out the bogus fear-mongering we hear all week in the news and the social media. And then you tell us what we really should be afraid of. I do indeed, and I will this time too. Barry is uniquely qualified to do this because he wrote the book on fear, his international bestseller, the Culture of Fear is a must-read for you listeners. Thanks, Alonzo. And while we're at it, please be sure to check out Alonzo's new stand-up special. It's premiering next week on Amazon, and it's called Heavy Lightweight. And look for when he's coming to your town. You can find that at alonzobowden.com. Listen, if you have a fear and you want us to look into it, let us know. We're on Twitter at FearNotOfficial, or you can email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. Next week, we're tackling some of the fears you guys submit, so send them to us. And while you're out there, subscribe to the podcast, then you'll know when the new episodes post. Let's get this thing started. Okay, here we go. Headline number one. Scientific proof, ultra-processed foods make you fat. Can we start with what the hell are ultra-processed foods? I like what one article from the BBC said. They said, if it has more than five ingredients, if it has ingredients you can't pronounce, if it has anything your grandma would not recognize as food. Okay, they just described four out of five aisles of every grocery store I've ever been to. Yeah, that's exactly the story, Alonzo. I agree with what an article in the New York Times said, and I'm quoting here. Limiting the intake of processed foods might be easier said than done. Highly processed foods have become the dominant food source for many Americans, accounting for over 60% of what we eat. You know, I'm on the road all the time. I got to eat on the run. And you, you ever try to get a healthy meal in an airport? Honestly, it, it's tough to do. There are some airports you might be able to find it, but a lot of them it's, it's going to be restaurants, uh, quick food, and fast food. Now, there are healthy restaurants, but they're not in airports, and they're not open at 1 o'clock in the morning. And you know what? Some of them aren't even healthy except in name only. When you really look at what ingredients they're using and how they're cooking it and putting in lots of extra butter to make up for the other things that aren't in it, they're not necessarily all that much better for you. And these headlines, though, they're mostly based on a new study that's out from the National Institutes of Health. It was a randomized controlled trial, which is good because that means it gets rid of some of the biases that happen in a lot of the research on food and on diet. Here's what they did. 20 volunteers checked into an inpatient research center. They were fed highly processed food for the first two weeks and then unprocessed food for the second two weeks. Now, I know what 
you and probably a lot of the listeners are thinking. When given the choice of, you know, mac and cheese versus a bowl of carrots, the mac and cheese is kind of going to win hands down. So it's important to note in looking at the studying, thinking about it, that all 20 people in the test confirmed that both the processed and the unprocessed food were equally enticing and delicious, and there were endless heaping portions available to them of both of those. Okay, first of all, Barry, I'm not a big mac and cheese fan, so don't put that one on me. No, doesn't this have to do with one of the things in processed foods? They say there's a lot of sugar, and that's why people like it, because we we get addicted to the sugar. I studied how they make these things tasty. I actually went to the places where they discover these foods. Sugar's part of it, but there's all kinds of ways to make these things more appealing to people. And, you know, that's that, it works, right? You know, these big food companies wouldn't be that big if they didn't figure out how, how to do that kind of thing, right? A few things happen that we really t- need to take note of. First, during the two weeks they were fed only ultra-processed food, the 20 people ate, on average, 500 more calories per day than their normal diet. And they each gained, on average, two pounds over those two weeks. Then, in the second two weeks, when they ate only unprocessed food, they ate fewer calories, and they lost the two pounds that they'd gained. So that seems to point directly at processed foods as a culprit in the supersizing of America. Remember, though, that was only two pounds they gained over two weeks, right? But here's the thing. Two pounds over two weeks is a pound a week. You know what that is? That's 50 pounds a year. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But what's the takeaway from just this report, this study that we're talking about? Should we be afraid of processed food? In the report, they did find that when eating ultra-processed food, people ate them much more quickly than fresh foods. So maybe by the time they were feeling full when downing processed foods, they had already eaten more calories. But that's a theory. And this study was only on 20 people, right? That's a small number of people for a relatively short period of time. I mean, is that a red flag? Yes, that is a red flag. And it should go up in everybody's mind, including, by the way, the journalists who write about this stuff. It means that these findings might or might not apply broadly. Not to mention that when you put people in this kind of artificial environment, you don't learn much about how they function in real life. A top nutritional researcher at Harvard, a guy named David Ludwig, He put it very well. He said, that artificial environment affects eating behavior in many ways. There's social isolation, there's stress, boredom, and the fact that the foods are prepared in a laboratory. Which is kind of funny because we're talking about ultra-processed foods, which are all prepared in a laboratory. But that's not my main problem with this study and the fear-mongering that's gone on about processed foods in general. In this study, the ultra-processed food was considerably cheaper At a time when 12 million children in America struggle with hunger, it's almost irresponsible to be going after cheaper sources of food, at least if you don't have a solution for those who can't afford or don't have access to fresh options. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I joke about it in my special that, you know, it's cheaper to go to Taco Bell than to go to Whole Foods, right? If you're on a budget and somebody's selling, you know, two large pizzas for $9.99, That's going to feed the family. So what can we do about this? You know, is more home-cooked meals an option? Yeah. But what about people like me who don't cook or who aren't even home? Almost half of Americans already cook dinner at home. They're not all comedians on the road. 
about six or seven nights a week for about half of Americans. And another 44% cook at home two to five nights a week. It means that 92% of Americans could theoretically already be cooking unprocessed foods at home for most of their meals. But they're not. And why? Because it isn't a realistic option for a huge portion of America. Right. Cooking from scratch takes a lot of time, something that the average household with two working parents has little of, let alone for single parents. Many of them live too far from a fresh food source anyway. And for others, the weather, whether it's too cold or too hot or too slick outside, that means that local sources of fresh food are not readily available year-round. They've done these studies and shown lower-income neighborhoods where all the food is bad food, just fast food, junk food, this and that. There isn't a Whole Foods. There isn't a green grocery store and so on. And the stores that have the produce charge more for it than they do in rich neighborhoods. Like this is definitely an economic issue along with a health issue. It's definitely right. There's a lot of research on that. So sorry, Gwyneth Paltrow. People are doing the best (laughs) they can. More than 50% of households eat hand-to-mouth and week-to-week. So when the end of the month is near and they're out of cash or close to it or the kids need a new pair of shoes or, God forbid, they're saving up for a night out, well, what are they going to reach for? Cheap and easy. So I say we have to stop worshiping what rich people eat and the way they eat and demonizing what regular folks eat. So rather than demonizing them, what can be done? What's the solution? The great first step is universal free lunch at schools. That would go a long way. And as for the obesity issue, the idea that one thing, like ultra-processed foods, is causing it, that's ridiculous. There are many factors causing obesity, including genetics, physical inactivity, even some medications that can uh, cause weight gain. So, at the end of the day, Barry, processed foods, fear or fear not? Fear not processed foods. And order me a salami sandwich, I'm hungry. Here's headline number two. More people moving from U.S. to Mexico than the other way around. People said if Trump got elected, they were getting the hell out of here. It's another thing we can blame on the orange one. And his base will love this story. So here it is. The Independent, a British news magazine, said in their headline, thousands of U.S. immigrants move south to Mexico as Trump attacks immigration. Well, here are some facts. Between 2009 and 2014, More Mexican-Americans have moved to Mexico than Mexicans have come to the U.S. One million Mexicans, including their U.S.-born kids, left the U.S. for Mexico. What's more, the latest statistics from 2017 show that due to the number of Mexicans going back to Mexico, the net number of Mexicans in the U.S. has actually decreased by 300,000. Okay, Barry, if you're quiet and you listen closely... That popping sound is heads at Fox News exploding with all of this data. (laughs) Americans are moving to Mexico more than, that means in Mexico, I bet we're stealing jobs. I bet we're stealing jobs. (laughs) Let's talk about the causes of the reverse migration. And believe me, there are a lot of reasons. The 2008 Great Recession made it hard to make a living in the U.S. If you're on a fixed income, it's a great place to retire. Mexico welcomes immigration and immigrants. And they say you can live well in Mexico on 2000 to $3,000 a month. Oh, and by the way, many U.S. citizens in Mexico are undocumented. 
They overstayed their visas, and Mexico largely looks the other way. And another factor is NAFTA brought big box stores and U.S.-type living to Mexico, so my Costco card is going to work there. So people go to Mexico, and they find out it's not that much different than living in the U.S. It's just a whole lot cheaper. So what does this mean for the U.S.? Our workforce is getting depleted. U.S.-educated kids are leaving with their education. Retiree money is being lost to Mexico. Now, those aren't great things, but we don't really need to be all that concerned about them. So, Barry, fear or fear not Mexican immigration the other way. Fear not. Move to Mexico if you want to. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. And now, Barry, our favorite segment, Fear Florida. Here's the headline for this week. Man says South Florida villa he bought at government auction turned out to be a foot-wide piece of land. Alonzo, you know, you found this one, so uh, please illuminate us. Oh, this was fantastic. So a Florida man buys what he thought was a villa in Tamarack, which is near Fort Lauderdale, for $9,100. He bought it from the Florida state government without going to see it. The picture used to market it, It showed two side-by-side garages divided by a small strip of land with a couple of mailboxes on it. Turns out the garages and their attached condos were not included. Evidently, the land runs between the two garages and continues out back through the backyards to the next property line. Now, how this got put on the market is absurd. He asked the state of Florida to give him his money back, and so far, they have refused. Well... Uh, You know, it's Florida, right? So they're going to refuse. And besides, this is a nice piece of land in Florida, right? Well, this kind of teaches you a lesson if you're a speculator, right? I just love it because you showed a picture of these two condos or two houses and these two garages. And this guy's like, man, I'm getting Florida property for only $9,100. And technically, he does have Florida property for only $9,100. You know, if it's a foot wide, how big are alligators? I think he can raise one. Alonzo, while you were talking about that, I looked up some of the comments. And, you know, this is Fox News, right? So I was waiting for a comment like this. Here's what MC1245 made of it. Welcome to the messed up world of local government. That's who did it. They made you not read. They know they're in Florida, right? Fear Florida. Headline number three reads, many Americans say Arabic numerals should not be taught in school. This here America, you don't come them Arab numbers here in America, some bitch. <laughs> yeah, and it gets real interesting because they broke the poll down here between Republicans and Democrats. Oh, this should be good. For those of you too far removed from grade school, Arabic numerals are the ones we use every day to count. We call them digits or numbers. They're what you see. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The system was created by Indian mathematicians between 500 and 700 A.D. From there, it was adopted by Arabic math mavens in Baghdad, the capital of modern-day Iraq, hence the name Arabic numerals. Yeah, now we've got them. Some bitches bring them (laughs) Arab numerals trying to bring down America. We're going to make up our own numerals. (laughs) 
Seems that a marketing company named Civic Science did a survey of over 3,500 Americans and asked a simple question. Should schools in America teach Arabic numerals as part of their curriculum? The question was asked just like that, Alonzo, with no further explanation. So the term Arabic numerals, it was left undefined. And the CEO of this place, Civic Science, I love his name, Mr. Dick, he said the goal of the study was to, quote, tease out prejudice among those who didn't understand the question. This sounds like one of those polls that Jimmy Kimmel does on his show with the man on the street where he just sends someone outside like he did one. How do people feel about the Affordable Health Care Act? And then how do they feel about Obamacare? And the same person would argue with themselves on both. I hate Obamacare. I like the Affordable Care Act. So the Affordable Care Act is more affordable than Obamacare? It, just the name says it all. Right. Do you think Obamacare is socialist? Yes, I do. Do you think the Affordable Care Act is socialist? No. You want to guess how many people said Arabic numerals should not be taught in American schools? <laughs> okay, I'm ahead of you because I read this. So, of the roughly 3,600 participants, 2020, that's well over half, said no Arabic numerals should not be taught to our precious children. But even more interesting, as far as I'm concerned, when it was broken down by political parties, only 40% of Democrats said they should not be taught, while 72% of Republicans said they should not. Well, here's the thing. Now, I've been accused of saying America's dumb. So I'm not going to say America's dumb. I'm going to say America's not too bright. But what's interesting <laughs> is, no, I'm not going to say that. Listen, Americans are dumb and dumber. That's what you got, 40% versus 72%, dumb and dumber. Let me just underscore that for all the Democrats listening here who are so proud of themselves and they're all good liberals and everything. 40% of the Democrats said no. So, Alonso, what's that new polite word you have for dumb? Dumb. <laughs> okay, Barry, you're a nicer guy than me, so you're not going to say it. But I'm going to say this, 40% of Democrats are dumb in prejudice versus 72% of Republicans are dumb in prejudice. And to the Democrats listening, that does not make you better. But here's a fun fact. In 2015, a U.S. Democratic polling company called Public Policy Polling did a survey that found 30% of Republicans supported bombing Agrabah, the fake city where Disney's Aladdin takes place only 13% said they were opposed. You know why, Barry? Because in order to bomb something, you need a countdown. And if you don't have Arabic numerals, <laughs> you can't count down to drop the bomb. It's never going to work. Let's move on. Barry, fear or fear not Arabic numerals? Fear not. It's time for Barry's Fear of the Week. Okay, Barry. How scared should we be this week? Are we talking maple syrup scared or are we talking like drunk driving scared? This one is really pretty bad, Alonso, because I I'm, I'm truly am afraid of the unprecedented volume and the pace of these regulatory rollbacks that have been ordered by Trump and company since taking office. With the stroke of a pen, Trump is setting America back decades on climate change, health care, banking, labor, civil rights, education, and a bunch of other stuff. And what's worse, some of the damage may be irreparable. Barry, I, I hate to be the one to say this, but this sounds like you might be doing a little fear-mongering. No, actually, if you yell fire when there's a real fire, that's not fear-mongering. This is something we should be afraid of. Let's take health care. Trump's tax overhaul abolished the Obamacare requirement that Americans have to have health insurance. 
that puts financial strains on the entire program and potentially undermines its financial underpinnings. And of course, Trump also continues to try to abolish Obamacare entirely. I know, and it, this is the funniest thing because the people who support him doing this invariably are the people who need Obamacare for their health insurance. They find that over and over. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Let's look at the banking industry for another one. According to the American Banker, which is an industry publication, under Trump, the issuance of new financial regulations has dropped to a 40-year low. That's not so reassuring after the Great Recession. And here's another one. Several weeks ago, his Department of Health and Human Services proposed rolling back existing protections for transgender people. And that's after attempting to ban them from the military. Another group, another group that's under attack, the transgender people, they're, I call it other. Every other group is attacked, whether you be minority, immigrant, gay, transgender. It's going on. And it's in so many areas. In terms of worker protections, Trump signed a bill to kill a requirement for businesses that get large federal contracts from having to disclose and correct their serious safety violations. And here's something else we need to be concerned about. Despite warnings not to do it from the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, a place that's supposed to protect workers, Trump's Department of Labor is pushing to allow 16- and 17-year-olds to operate power-driven patient lifts in nursing homes by themselves. Now, that's not great for Granny. You know, that one actually hits really close to home because um, before my mother passed away, she was in a rehab home, and I saw how they did that, how they lifted her out of bed with this power lift, and it truly terrified her. Like, it was very scary and I can understand that, to have your body lifted in this sort of cradle sling thing. And the idea of a 16-year-old kid doing it as opposed to an adult nurse who's trying to, you know, ease the fears of this, this older or infirm person uh, would be ridiculous. It, it would be ridiculous. And, and, you know, speaking as a son, when your mother screams in terror, if it's a 16-year-old kid clowning around, that is utterly ridiculous. And, again, this, the problem with this is these people, Trump is so far out of touch with this because because of his money, when anyone in his family or anyone he knows gets sick, they're going to get the best of care and this and that, and they have no idea what it's really like to see these things and how they affect people. So again, this this one I can speak to from personal experience. This is not something that should be done by a 16 or a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. A lot of people have those experiences. I've watched my mother-in-law in that kind of facility, and this is, this is something to be afraid of. It's not trivial like some of the supporters of what he's doing are saying. This, this stuff matters. These rollbacks matter. But what concerns me the most is what he's doing to roll back and undermine environmental protections right when climate change has become an imminent danger. Here are just a few examples. Remember the disastrous BP explosion and oil spill in 2010? 11 people were killed, over 200 million gallons were dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. After that explosion, the Obama administration tightened safety rules for offshore drilling, including requiring tests on blowout preventers, as they're called. The Trump administration rolled back those safety measures. Yeah, I mean, all of these rollbacks are, are scary, whether it be environmental protections, banking, the banking industry went wild, right, broke the system. Our money propped them back up, 
and now all of those regulations are gone again. That's right. And another scary part about this is we don't even know who is driving this boat. It could be Trump himself. More likely, it's some of the, let's be honest, not particularly well-versed or caring people who are advising him. Well, wait, I want to say something. We do know who's advising him because he puts people from whatever industry there is in charge of regulating that industry, which means no regulation at all. So we know who's advising him, big big money business people, big donors, and they're telling him what to do, and it's in their favor. Well, there's definitely no doubt about that. So what's driving this push to deregulate? Many conservatives tell us that regulations translate into increased costs and more bureaucracy. But here's the reality. According to the nonpartisan Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, it's actually far from the case. The OMB found that during the Obama administration from January 21, 2009 to September 20, 2015, the estimated net benefit, okay, that's the benefits minus the cost, the estimated net benefits of major federal regulations were between 100 and 400 billion dollars per year, okay, for doing the right thing. So, doing the right thing actually saves money. It's what they like to call a win-win. Yeah, you can, <laughs> that's exactly right. So for our listeners, if any of these rollbacks frighten you and they should, find an organization that's fighting to get them reversed or better yet, fighting to put stronger measures in place and support those. If offshore drilling is what scares you, join an organization like the National Resources Defense Council or Earth Justice. If you're concerned about rollbacks to transgender protections, join with the Human Rights Campaign and write your elected representatives in Congress. As citizens, we also have the right to participate directly in the regulatory process. There's some great advice on how to do that, how to submit effective comments to the right agencies. You'll find that on the website of the Brookings Institution. It's at brookings.edu. But perhaps the best way to help is to put those ordering these dangerous rollbacks in a place where they can no longer be dangerous to us or, frankly, to themselves. So I say, fear Trump's rollbacks and vote in 2020. Okay, before we wrap this up for the week, we have an update on a story we did about screen time. Are you sure this is an update and not a nightcap? It sounds pretty insane to me. Nope, nope. This one is real. Cell phones cause kids to grow horns. Two health science researchers at Australia's University of the Sunshine Coast. Can that be a real place? Is that real? The University of the Sunshine Coast? They discovered that small horns are now growing on the lower skull of young people. In a group of 218 18 to 30 year olds, they found these so called skull horns in 41% of them. What do you think, Barry? I think a lot of people think the millennial generation is full of demons anyway. Come on, Barry. What kind of science is that? They said they made an educated guess as to what was causing it, i.e. cell phones, having to do with the increased use of handheld technology from early childhood. But come on, an educated guess? You know what this is? It's a lot of hype, really. I looked into this a little farther, right? Evidently, there is radiological evidence that these things exist. They're bone spurs that they're talking about. And that's brought on by weight shifting from the spine to the base of the skull. But some say this might be caused by bad posture among teens. Come on, that sounds like more guessing. 
Teens, and most humans, for that matter, other than ballerinas, have had bad posture since the dawn of the caveman. If it's happening more now because of screens, so be it. The good news is there's no evidence that these so-called horns are causing any harm. But that's not stopped parents from being all up in arms about their kids growing horns. From what? Say it with me, Barry. Too Too much much screen time. time. Yeah, that's a familiar trope. Uh, And speaking to that point, the article which, by the way, was from Viceland News, went on to quote the World Health Organization's recommendations on screen time. Caregivers should limit sedentary screen time for children under five. Specifically, it's said to limit this activity, that is screen time, to no more than an hour at a time. But my favorite quote is this. This set of recommendations was made because it's not good for children to be sedentary. Not because screen time is inherently worse than any other sedentary activity. They shouldn't just sit around. Exactly. That's right. Don't fear screen time. Fear sedentarianism or something. The most interesting thing I saw about this horn story was by somebody named Molly Roberts who reports on tech for the Washington Post. And she said the gist of it is that horns make for a much better metaphor than the real thing which is bone spurs, right? The story is much more interesting, gets more clicks when it's about technology turning us into monsters. I'm also giving you some advice. If your kid grows horns, be nice to him. He probably has other powers. We're almost out of time, but every week, my crack research team digs for a story that's gone viral. One that's so outrageous that it sounds too crazy to be true. And here's tonight's nightcap headline. And Alonzo, you have to tell us if you think it's true or fake news. It reads, U.S. President Donald Trump referred to the mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio in August 2019 as having happened in Toledo, Ohio. Barry, this one's definitely true. And here's the reason, Barry. He was on a golf course, not getting your news updates on the eighth hole. Roll the clip. We will ensure that those who were attacked will not have died in vain. May God bless the memory of those who perished in Toledo. May God protect them. May God bless the victims and their families. May God bless America. Thank you very much. Thank you. This one is true. Absolutely true. And that's it for us this time. Thanks for joining us. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a budget cookie to tell me. If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end, or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone & Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner, executive produced by Scott A. Stone, produced and edited by Adam Everest, Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff, too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is David I. Legal Beagles, 
Loeb and Loeb, crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.